surprise, surprise, we're going to go ahead and continue on in the culture of Living Hope Family Church. This is part three of seven, so as you'll guess, next week will be the culture of Living Hope Family Church, part four, because I'm clever in my naming schemes. But today is part three, and it's we are a people who pray. So uh, as I've said, over the next few weeks, we're going to continue looking at who we are as a church, because it's very important that we all know who we are as a church, because it's so easy to, to lose focus, to lose our way. And we want to make sure that we're looking at, at who we are as a church, what the scripture says about who the church should be. And, and this morning, we're going to talk about prayer, because I think prayer is one of the most important parts of the life as a Christian. In 2 Chronicles 7.14, it says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. You know, we are a people that is called by his name. And we need to be a people who will humble ourselves and pray. We need to spend time with God. Because the reason for this is because you can't have a relationship without communication. It is impossible to have a relationship without communication. If you don't speak and spend time speaking to your wives' husbands and communicating with them, your marriage is going to be kind of garbage. It's, it's not going to be good. Anybody that's ever had a relationship like that where nobody will talk to you will know that that's no relationship at all. We have to spend time speaking to people to have a relationship, and it's not any different with God. If you want to have a relationship with God, you need to take some time and actually talk to Him. And the truth is, God will speak back to you. He hears your prayers. And that's in 2 Chronicles 7.14, it says that I will hear from heaven. You know, God hears you when you speak to Him. You know, when Jesus went to the cross, the veil was torn. And there was no longer a need for someone to, to speak on behalf of God because we were able to enter the Holy of Holies ourselves now. We've been made brand new. We can speak to God face to face. And like I said, He's going to speak to you in return. He'll speak to you through His Word. He's going to speak to you in your head as well. You may not hear an audible voice of God. It doesn't happen all that often, although sometimes it does. But you'll oftentimes hear God speaking to you in your own voice in your head. And you know when it's God speaking to you. You say, Pastor, how can I tell if it's God speaking to me? Well, if it lines up with the Bible, with the Scripture, then it's God speaking to you. If it doesn't line up with the Scriptures, then you know it's not God speaking to you. Amen? He's also going to speak to you through other leaders in the church, through godly men and women. You know, when I, uh, we first decided to, to plant this church, we actually intended to start in Casa Grande. And, and that's where uh, Pastor Mike from the Tucson Church wanted us to plant the church. And to be honest with you, Michelle and I had always had a, a vision for, for planting in, in somewhere in, in northwest Tucson. But the problem was, as we were praying about it, we never got any clear word from God, and we continued to pray. And then Pastor Mike said, you know what, I want you to, to, to plant a church in, in Casa Grande. We think this is what God has for you. And, and at this point, since we didn't have a clear word from God, we trusted our pastor, because God will speak to you through your leaders. And praise God, as obviously we didn't plant the church in Casa Grande because we were getting ready to go full bore and somewhere along the line, Pastor Mike came back and said, you know what, I think things have changed. I think we want you to plant a church in Marana. And we said, praise God, that's what we wanted all along. You know, when, when, you, when you listen to God's voice, even when it's not what you want to do, he will be faithful to you, amen? But he'll speak to you through your leaders. And then, Anybody ever wondered what God has for your life, what God wants you to be doing, what's your calling in your life? 
You know, if you never talk to him and ask him, he's, he's never going to be able to tell you. Ask God what he wants for you, what he wants for your life, where your ministry is going to be, what you can do to, to co-labor alongside with him to reach this city. He'll speak to you. In Acts 10, 1 through 4, we're going to learn that, that God does speak to us in our prayer. And at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. This is Acts 10, 1 through 4. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. You see, we all know that prayer is when we speak to God. But it's also a time when God will speak to you. See, Cornelius, this guy here, he wasn't saved. He wasn't a Christian. He couldn't offer sacrifices. He wasn't a Jew either. He couldn't offer sacrifices at the temple. And he was doing the best that he could to honor God. Because as a Gentile, he wasn't allowed into the temple. He couldn't do the things the Jews were doing. They would never let him in. He wasn't a Jew. And, and obviously at this point, he wasn't a Christian. But he was doing the best that he could do to honor God. And he was, he was coming up short. But some of his prayers, as he was speaking to God, they were obviously heard by God. And they must have been in regards to salvation. God, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a Jew. I'm not a, I'm not a at this point, Jesus, there's, there's no Christians yet. Or they're just coming around. He says, God, I, I can't get in. Even at this point in the beginning, Christianity, they were thinking it was just for the Jews at first. And he began to pray. And, and the angel says, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. He says he prayed continually. Anybody have ever prayed continually? I know that's a hard thing to do, to be in that attitude of prayer all the time. I'll tell you what, when I go to work and bad stuff's happening and I'm getting, I'm getting a little cranky or whatever, why sometimes God's a little bit farther from my mind than I want him to be. But as Christians, we need to determine that we're going to be in that attitude at all times because God is listening and God will hear your prayers. And God will speak to you. When you pray to God, you'll be praying, you'll be ministering, and you'll you'll feel something laid upon your heart. God will lay something on your heart. And like I said, it may just sound like your own voice in the side of your head, but you know it's from God. And God will lay something. He'll do that while you're praying. He'll speak to you. And God wants to let you know what his plans are. He wants you to be a part of them. Cornelius here was about to be a part of the Gentiles being led into God's salvation and promises. This is a huge change for the Christians at the time, for the Gentiles at the time. This is, hey, this is the, the turning point when we start to becoming led in. And it's because Cornelius was willing, willing to pray and God spoke to him. And it's not the only time that God spoke to people in their visions. In Acts 11.5, Peter says, I was in the city of Joppa praying in a trance. I saw a vision and something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Peter was praying, and the sheet came down. You remember he said, he said Lord, I'll, the, God said, get up and eat, and there was only unclean animals. And, and Peter said, no, I'll, I'll never get up and eat something that's unclean. And God said, well, whatever I call clean is clean. This, this was the part of it. He was about to go see Cornelius. I mean, this is, 
That's why I say he must have been praying for salvation because the end result of this was the Gentiles being led into the kingdom of God. Amen? He says, your prayers are answered. And then Peter goes to see him. Or rather, he goes to see Peter. Like I said, and God's going to speak to you for the most part for us. He's going to speak to you in your own voice. I've known Christians that have had God speak to them audibly. I've never personally had God speak to me audibly in a, in a loud voice. I've had him speak to me in visions. In a dream, I had God speak to me, and it was, it was his voice. But I've never heard it audibly. But the truth is, God speaks to me all the time. Matter of fact, for me personally, hearing God's not usually an issue. It's the listening to God that gets me in trouble most of the time. I hear God loud and clear, and, and all too often in my life, I go, hey, give me a minute, God. I'm going to go do my own thing for a moment. And I kind of push him off to the side. You're going, wait a minute, pastor, you do that? You're a pastor. Yeah, guess what? I'm just like you. I'm no different. But you'll begin to pray and you'll begin to read scriptures and they may stand out to you differently than they have before as God speaks to you. You're going to have a revelation of how that kind of stuff applies to your life. And like I said, if you want to verify that it's from God, There's a simple litmus test. If it lines up with the word of God, it's God speaking to you. What if it's the devil trying to tell me something? Well, if it lines up with the word of God, it ain't the devil. He doesn't want you doing what the word of God says. And if it doesn't line up with the word of God, then you can be sure it's not God. And prayer is also a time when our eyes are going to be opened. In Ephesians 1, 16 through 19 Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. You know, there's a lot of times in scriptures, if you just look at how Paul prays, how Peter prays, how Jesus prays, we can begin to learn how to pray. Right now we have Paul saying that I don't cease praying for you in my prayers, and I ask for these kind of things. I ask that you would have the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. These are the kind of things that we should be praying for ourselves, but also for others. And there was... There was a Christian once who was attending a prayer meeting faithfully and he always confessed the same thing during testimony time and his prayer was seldom varied. He said, O Lord, since we last gathered together, the cobwebs have become between us and thee. Clear away the cobwebs. He prayed this repeatedly. And finally one day another brother spoke out and said, O Lord God, kill the spider. You know, we need to make sure we're praying for stuff that's in line with God's Word, that our eyes would be open, that we would not remain the same every day. You know, when we're praying for stuff and we do it in faith, we should be seeing changes in our hearts and our lives and around us because God is faithful. When he says that I pray that you may know what is the hope, you can barely see my little light, I think my battery's dying. We barely know what is the hope to which he has called you. Or that you may know what is the hope. 
You see, hope in Scripture is a little bit different than hope as the world sees it. Always look at hope, and you see hope in the world, and you're like, man, I, I hope we, we get some pizza tonight. Or I hope it rains. Or I hope somebody comes over and says hi to me. Hope is, a, is, a, is an unsure thing in the world. But hope for the believer is absolute certainty. And it's absolute certainty of a believer's victory in God. That's what he's talking about here, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. He has called you to absolute victory in Christ. And then having our eyes open, that, that means revelation. And that's more than just head or book knowledge. But it's a knowledge in your heart. Have you guys ever experienced that difference between head knowledge and revelation? You know, where I, where I see it the most is in areas that I'm struggling with, and I know what the Scripture says, but sometimes it takes that revelation from God for me to actually get a hold of it. There's a difference between knowing what the Word says and actually taking it in by faith. There are plenty of people who know what the Bible says about Jesus. I mean, they know the Bible says that he died for them and, and gave his life so that they could be made brand new. But they don't have any hope inside of them because they don't have a revelation of that. They don't believe that. It's just book knowledge to them, head knowledge. And what Paul's praying is that we would, we would be enlightened and we would have that kind of revelation in our hearts as we pray and we read the Word and we understand with revelation given to us by God, what that means for our life. Next, he wants us to understand the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. You know that power that he wants us to understand and be aware of, that's available to us today, is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. You know, when you have Christ inside of you and you're operating in faith, you are operating in power. When we pray for stuff, we should believe that it's going to happen. We believe that he hears us, and we just call it done. You know, we kind of have a a problem with that last one, this immeasurable greatness of his power towards us to believe according to the working of his great might. Here in the States, we kind of have a problem with that. You know, I've, I've done work in, in, uh, in Africa and ministered over there. And you know what? They don't have any issues believing in the supernatural over there. And they see more miracles than we see over here because they believe that God can move. They see amazing things over there. And the scripture says that signs and wonders will follow those who believe. But why don't we see it here in the States as much as elsewhere? It's because, man, we don't, we don't believe in that stuff here. The supernatural, that's crazy talk. But I want you to know that... that we belong to a supernatural church. You can just read through the Bible for a moment. Matter of fact, after we get done with these, the next message I'm planning on doing is about the supernatural because if you look at just the beginning of the Gospels, Luke starts out, the book of Luke starts out talking about angels. We belong to a supernatural church and we serve a supernatural God and His power is available to work in us and through us. Amen? Next, we need to be praying for provision. A people that pray, pray for provision. In Ephesians 1, 6, no, I'm sorry. In uh, James 4, 2 through 3, it says, You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. 
you know, we need to be a people who are going to trust God and ask Him for the things that we need in our lives. And it doesn't even just mean the big stuff. Obviously, we all pray for the big stuff, but you know what, God? Pray for the little stuff, too. I mean, there's so many times that I've, I've had people that, that, that have a headache or something bothering them, and, you know, we encourage people, if you have something wrong, let us pray for you, but we can't do that. That would be too, too small a thing to bother God with. But the truth is that we can bring God the big things, the small things, and He hears us. Matter of fact, the reason why we don't have things many times is because we desire and do not have. We covet and cannot obtain, but it says we don't have because we don't ask. Take the time to ask God for provision in your life and see what he won't do for you. Amen? While kayaking in southern England, off the Isle of Wight, Mark Ashton Smith, a 33-year-old lecturer at Cambridge University, capsized in treacherous waters. Clinging to his craft and reaching for his cell phone, Ashton Smith's first inclination was to call his father. And it didn't matter to the desperate son that his dad, Alan Pym Smith, was at work training British troops in Dubai, 3,500 miles away. Without delay, the father relayed his son's mayday to the Coast Guard installation nearest to his son's location. And ironically, it was less than a mile away. Within 12 minutes, a helicopter retrieved the grateful Ashton Smith. This is an interesting story to me because this guy, this, this kid, I guess he's not a kid, he's 33 years old, but he's, he's out kayaking and it, and it capsizes and he's, he's in a real mess. And now, I think for most of us, if we're in a mess like that, dad's probably not the first one we're going to call. We're going to try to get a hold of the, you know, nine one ones on our speed dial. But I, it's interesting with this boy because he, he calls his dad. And it doesn't make sense to us, but obviously his dad provided, or his dad took care of the situation and got him saved. And that's what happens to us in our lives as Christians, too. We begin to run into problems, and instead of calling dad, instead of reaching out to our father and beginning to pray, we, we, we go to our boss and ask for a raise, or we, we go to, to the mechanic and ask him to fix the car. We, we begin to put our trust elsewhere. Now, I'm not saying don't go to your boss and ask for a raise. If you ask God first and then ask your boss, you've got a better chance of getting it, I can tell you that. I'm not saying if your car breaks down to just lay hands on it and, and, and wait for the car to magically start working. You know what? You probably need to take it to a mechanic. If you're sick, go to a doctor. God can use the doctor to deal with whatever you're dealing with. But our trust, our hope should be placed in him first. We need to look towards him when we have an issue. It says, if you ask, you will receive according to the will of God. That's in the next scripture we're going to look at. Because we deal here, it says, you ask and do not receive. Why? Because you ask wrongly. Well, how do we ask rightly then? In 1 John 5, 14 through 15, it says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked him. You know, if you ask anything according to his will... You have it. And there's a couple things about this verse that we can look at. Is that one, it says we have confidence that if we ask him anything according to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us in what we ask, we know that we have the request. So the question is, what's according to his will? Once again, we get the quick litmus test. If it's according to scripture, it's his will. You know, if you're praying for somebody to get hit by a bus, probably not in his will. Don't expect that one to happen. 
if you're hoping that the, the neighbor and his, his wife might split up so you can, you can speak to his wife, probably not going to happen. That's not according to the will of God. And you know, the interesting thing about this is this is actually a tough one to speak to people that are, that are young in the faith. So I'm going to let you in on a little bit about this. This verse here is that if you're walking in the will of God, if you are serving him wholeheartedly, and that means that your thoughts are going to be his thoughts. Your mind is going to be like his mind. If you are walking in the will of God, you're serving him wholeheartedly, and, and he is the, the foremost of your life, whatever you pray is going to be in the will of God. Because if you have him at your first and, and foremost, you're not going to be praying for stuff that's against the will of God. Because his thoughts are your thoughts. And if we will put him first and our eyes are focused solely on him, then he hears our prayers. And they're according to his will. And he's going to, we know that he hears us. And when we ask him, we know that we have received those, that we will receive those requests. And when we ask, that's the way we should ask. We should ask as if we've already received it. A long time ago, I stopped asking God for things and started thanking him for things. You know, when we, when we need something, when we, we, when we need for this church, when we were looking for this building and those who were, who were with us when we spent two years in my house and we spent, I don't know, something like nine or ten months trying to get into this place. And the whole time we began to just thank God that it was ours. And man, it took a lot longer than I expected. But you know what? We said, God, we know this is what you have for us and we thank you that we're going to be in a building. And lo and behold, here we are. If you knew anything about how this happened, it don't make a whole lot of sense. It was a God thing for sure. But we asked and believed that we had received it already. You know, do you guys remember James and John in the Bible, the, the sons of thunder? Do you remember when uh, they went into that town and they, they didn't want Jesus there? They're like, God, let us call down fire from heaven and destroy this town. And what did Jesus say? You don't know what will you're of. You know, when we pray for something that's not in the will of God, we shouldn't expect to receive it. But when we pray for something that is, we should expect to receive it wholeheartedly. We shouldn't have a doubt in the world. Amen? Because God is faithful. Man, I'm taking a long time. Philippians, so we should be praying for peace as well. I'll try to speed this up a little bit so we're not out here too late. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. You know, anxiety is a killer. Literally, literally anxiety, if you are too anxious, it can actually kill you. The stress in your life can mess you up. And the truth is, all anxiety is caused by fear. We're afraid we're not going to have enough money in the bank account at the end of the month. You know, we have too much, too much month for money. Anybody ever experienced that? We're afraid that something could happen to our kids if we, if we let them do something. We're afraid that you know, there's all kinds of things we're afraid of that we're getting anxious for. I think for most adults, the primary thing is, is money. I would probably say that's the biggest one. We're all worried about we're going to have money to pay the bills or have enough to do this or have enough to do that. 
because we're afraid. But the scripture says that we need to cast our anxiety. Don't be anxious. But actually, the other scriptures say, cast your anxieties on him. Just give it to God. Trust him. It says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. And supplication is just humble prayer. Do you ever feel like your kids think that uh, you owe them something? You ever have, you know, you're like, what the heck is going on through your head? I don't owe you anything. I gave you life. Isn't that enough? But they, you know, they expect, like, they, they expect that you have to do these things. We need to make sure we're not going to God like that, too. We need to go to him in a supplication, humble prayer, and recognize that he doesn't owe us anything. But even still, he gives so graciously, just like with our kids. Even though we don't owe them anything, we still want to give them the world. We want to do everything we can for them. And if that's what we do as, as earthly parents, what do you think our Heavenly Father's like? Any of you guys want peace? This peace that surpasses all understanding. Why does it pass, surpass all understanding? Because if we cast our anxieties on Him, we can have peace no matter what's going on. And the people that work with you are like, don't you see what's happening around you? And you're like, yeah, it's okay though, I trust God. And you have peace. If you want that peace, just put it on God. Give it to Him. And He'll take care of you. Now, I'm not implying that this is a, a, a magic wand. And that if you just trust God, everything's going to get better. Because it might not. You might go through some tough times. But God will be with you the entire time, and he'll get you through it. And you'll come out the other side. And you won't die. And you know what? You're going to have peace through the whole thing instead of anxiety and fear. First Peter 5, 6 through 7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And Psalms 55, 22 says, Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Like I said, it may not always be easy, but he'll be with you, and he's not going to leave you nor forsake you. But the thing about casting your anxiety on God is that you can take it back. That's what happens all too often with us. We cast our anxiety on God for 45 minutes, don't feel like anything changed, so we just take it right back. But we need to trust in Him fully and continually. I once knew somebody who had a, a, a word of knowledge passed over her, and they said, you know what, I, I see you walking down the road, and you're carrying these large sacks on your back, and they're an incredibly heaven, heavy burden." And I see you walking down the road, but then I see a carriage come up beside you and say, hey, do you want a ride to where you're going? And she said, yeah, I'd I'd like a ride. So she gets in the back of the carriage. But the interesting thing is she doesn't take the potatoes, the sacks off her back. She just leaves them on her shoulders. Instead of setting them down on the carriage and letting the carriage do the work. And so often that's what happens to us in our life. God comes along and says, hey, let me take some of that for you. And we jump in the carriage, but we just keep the the baggage on our back instead of giving it to him and letting him carry the load. And he'll do that for you. It says, he will never permit the righteous to be moved. How many in this room are righteous? Well, if you're you're looking at yourself, then you've got an issue. But I want you to know, if you've got Jesus in your heart, then you're righteous. 
You're not, definitely, we're not righteous of our own doing. That's for sure. But if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Scripture is very clear. You are righteous in Him. So let me ask that question again. How many in this room are righteous? Amen. There we go. It says right here, He'll never permit the righteous to be moved. He's not going to let you be bowled over. He's not going to let you drown. He'll be with you. Amen? We also need to be praying for our brethren. In Philippians 4, 6-7, it says, Do not be anxious. Ab- oh, I keep, I'm hitting the button and it's not working. I promise. Them. <laughs> Philippians 1, 3-4, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making, for you all making my prayer with joy. And Philemon 1, 4 says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. And 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 through 3, it says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be praying for one another. That's the question that I would ask you is, is are we praying for one another? You know, when we get together corporately and we pray, I know that we're praying for one another. We get together on Wednesday nights for our, our life groups and we pray afterwards and I know we're praying for one another. And in the prayer meeting at, at 9 o'clock on, on Sundays, I know we're praying for one another. But are we doing it all the time? When you're at home in your private prayer life, do you even have a private prayer life? If you have one, I'd re- if, you, if you don't, I'd recommend getting one. Spend time talking to God. But the question is, do we pray for one another or do we have the, when we pray at home, is it just the, the us for and no more attitude? You know, pray for the wife and kids, but we don't think about anybody else. We need to be praying for one another. That's the example that's set before us by the apostles. You know, we rejoice together. We hurt together. And we should be lifting one another up. You know, and I thank God for everybody in this room for the works that you'll do for the kingdom of heaven. Even people that I just met today, I know God wants to work through you and he has great plans for your life. And even if I've just met you, I'll begin to pray for you and thank you for the work that's going on in your life. And I would hope that all of us in this room would do the same thing and lift up one another. And I'm talking about real prayer for one another. There was, uh, do you remember when you'd go to church and they used to do the... uh, the, the flyer on an actual printed bulletin or something when you came in. In almost every church that I've ever seen, they always put the little one-panel cartoon in it because you've got to give somebody something to read. when they're, That's all the people would take the bulletin for was for the cartoon. But there was, there was always one that, that I've seen that had this, this man at a church meeting to himself saying, Oh, great, here comes Bob. I told him I'd pray for him. Dear God, help Bob. Amen. And then he reaches out his hand as, as Bob comes up enthusiastically and says, Hey, Bob, been praying for you. I hope that's not how it is. You know, on Sunday morning, we see somebody, oh, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to, Lord, help them, please. Thank you. We need to be praying for people during the week. You know, and if we say we're going to pray for somebody, let's pray for them. And I would encourage you, if somebody comes up and asks you for prayer, we need to get away from this attitude that's, you know, oh, I'll be praying for you, or oh, you'll be in my prayers. If somebody comes and asks you for prayer, just stop Right then, what you're doing and pray for them. 
And they'll either really thank you for it. They're probably going to feel uncomfortable. You'll probably feel uncomfortable, but that's okay. Pray for them anyway. It doesn't matter where you're at. In a Walmart, one time we prayed for somebody in a, uh, a, uh, was a, a furniture store. We got in there, ran into somebody, and we just took them off to the side and prayed for them. Took the time to pray for them. It's funny, at work, when I first started doing this, we have a girl that's, that's a Christian at work, and she'll ask me to pray for stuff. And at first, I, I had that attitude. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll be, I'll be praying for you. you know, add this to your prayer list. And then I finally said, well, let's go ahead and pray right now. So we did that the first couple of times, and now she doesn't ask me to pray for her at work anymore. But uh, that's all right. <laughs> I'm going to pray for people because I don't want to forget. We get busy. I'll take the time right then. In James 5.16, it says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. You know, when you pray, like we talked about earlier, the prayer of a righteous person, we've already determined that if you have Jesus, that you're righteous. So your prayer has power as it's working. Let's pray for one another. Amen? We need to be praying for health as well. James 5.14-16 says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will rise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. We just read this one for the other verse there. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. You know, the scripture says that, that health is ours by his sacrifice. In 1 Peter 2, 24, it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. We pray and claim this promise through faith. And when we pray, we express that faith. And I know there's many have said that, oh no, that what he's talking about there is, 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 a, is a, the, the nation of Israel. Because this is uh, Isaiah 55, I believe, is where this is quoted from as he's praying. But you know, and I think it's in Matthew 24 or Matthew 26, the apostle there, he interpreted this as healing. He says, he says that uh, all the people were healed by Jesus, and this was to fulfill the, the prophecy in Isaiah 55. So if the apostles interpreted this as for physical healing, I think we're safe to interpret it as physical healing as well. Amen? And this, the healing is ours by faith. And the scripture says that if anyone among you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil. When it says that he's talking about anointing him with oil, in those days, in the, in the, in the, the, the time of the Jews, Oil was a, uh, a healing element. It was kind of like medicine today. It's kind of like if he has a headache, give him Tylenol and lay hands on him. And they saw that, that oil is, a, is a, most likely is just a healing thing. But the important part is it says, let them call for the elders of the church and lay hands on them if they're sick. And that means anything. If you've got a headache, I would love to pray for you. If God forbid you have cancer, I'd love to pray for you as well. And all of them are covered under the provision of God. By his wounds, you've been made whole. And here, just to clear some stuff up here, it says that, uh, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. It's not talking about every single sin. It doesn't mean that everybody has to know everybody's dirty laundry. To be honest with you, it's not anybody's business. 
you're struggling with someone, see your leaders that we can pray with you and, and encourage you and walk with you. What it's talking about here, confessing your sins to one another and praying for one another, is, is if you commit a sin against somebody, if you do something you shouldn't, yeah, deal with it. Go talk to them. Ask for forgiveness. And then pray for one another. And that will bring healing to that situation in your life as well. And like I said earlier, the prayer of a righteous person, which is everybody who is saved, has great power. Don't underestimate the power you have in your prayer. If you don't pray often, I'd recommend you start doing it and see what God will do when you ask Him to. Amen? Next, we need to pray for our world and its leaders. And this is a tough one, I think, sometimes, particularly in this day and age. But 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 3 says, First of all, then, I urge the supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of our God, our Savior. On behalf of all men means those who are not saved as well as the church. We need to be praying for everybody. We need to be praying for our community, the people that live out there, because you know what? We have treasure in earthen vessels that they should be able to have a part of. We also need to be praying for our city leaders. Pray for our city to prosper. Pray for our neighbors to prosper, to be in good health. We need to lift up members of the church and non-members alike. And the tough one here is it says, for kings and all who are in high positions. How many know that this is a time when the Jewish people and the Christians at the time were under oppression by the Roman authorities right then? How many know that they probably didn't want to be praying for Caesar? But it says that praying for our leaders is pleasing in the sight of God, of our, God our Savior. So are we praying for our leaders, even the ones we don't like? It doesn't mean we have to agree with what they're doing. Matter of fact, I would encourage you to pray that they'd get saved. We don't need laws to change this country. You know, there's a lot of stupid laws getting passed right now that I don't agree with. I think they're very unscriptural. But you know what? Changing those laws isn't going to fix anything. We need to change the people. We need to change our leaders. We need to pray for them to get saved. Pray that they would know Jesus. You know what? If every person in leadership got saved and began to serve God with their whole heart, how many know the laws would just change as a result of that? If this country was serving God with their whole heart, the laws would change as a result of that. So let's pray for people. Let's pray for our leaders that they would prosper, that they would make godly decisions, that God would touch their heart. If they're believers, we would pray that they would make decisions that are according to their faith. And if they're not believers, we'd pray that there would be opportunities for other believers to share the gospel with them and that they would be convicted and drawn into the same family that we're a part of. Amen? Pray for our leaders, even if you don't want to. This also means your enemies. Even worse than people that you may not agree with, this means the people you just flat out don't like. Pray for them anyway. Matthew 5, 43 through 44 says, You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. One, that's not easy. That means you've got to show forgiveness. And sometimes we have a, a real problem with forgiveness. But the reality is, 
that if we just take a look at what God did for us, the, the incredible forgiveness that he expressed towards us, it should be a natural reaction to express that same forgiveness to somebody else, no matter what they've done. And I'm not saying it's easy. It's, a lot of these things are, are a lot easier said than done. This is one of those, those, it's easy to have that head knowledge, that book knowledge of it, but it's a whole different thing to have a revelation of it in your heart and live it as God intended you to live it. But I would pray, I pray that we'd all have that revelation. It says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, as a side note, this doesn't mean that, Lord, I pray that they would fall off a cliff. That doesn't count. Praying that your enemies would be hit by a bus, that's, that's not the prayer we're talking about. We need to pray for blessing in their life. Pray that their heart would be changed. Pray that your heart would be changed in that situation. Amen? We also need to pray to be empowered. In Acts 4.31, it says, When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And in 2 Thessalonians 1.11-2, it says, To this end, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every result for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. When we pray, we need to expect great things. When they prayed together, the place that they were gathered together was shaken. Man, we need to remember when, the, when uh, 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 Paul was in prison and he began to sing and pray, and all of a sudden the, there was an earthquake and the bars broke up. And when we pray, we need to expect things to happen. You know what, we, uh, we need power today just as much as they needed power back then. I mean, you can just look at the world around, it's falling apart. Our world is falling apart, and if you don't think we need some power to handle what's coming, then hey, you're a much stronger person than I am, but I want all the help I can get. Phillips Brooks, Phillips Brooks, who wrote Old Little Town of Bethlehem, he wrote this. He said, Do not pray for easy lives, but pray to be stronger men and women. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers, but pray for powers equal to your tasks. That's the way the early Christians prayed. And I think that's the way we should be praying today, amen? He says here, I pray that you would be... <clears throat> Where is it at? that God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work by the faith of his power. You know, being found worthy of your calling is just to be found doing it. If you will just do what God has called you to do, he'll give you the strength, he'll give you the power, he'll give you what you need. Our problem where we become unworthy in our calling is when instead of doing it, we just sit on our butts, just sit on our, our blessed assurance instead of actually doing what God called us to do. Obedience to your call is being worthy. It's not by our accomplishments, but what he's done through us. So the question is, and how do we pray? You know, the, the scripture, Jesus actually give us a nice little template 
to pray, if you will. This, this prayer here in Luke 11, 1 through 4 says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. This was not intended to be repeated, repeated verbatim. This is not uh, what he was talking about. This is, this is uh, and, and most scholars will agree, this was a template. This was a way of Jesus to teach them how to pray. So we don't need to just repeat this exactly, but begin to look at what Jesus is telling us to do. The first request was that God's name be hallowed. And it means to, to hear that just means to set his part, his name apart as holy. So the request here by Jesus is not saying, Father, hallowed be your name every time, but rather to, to have his reputation be revered by men, to lift him up, to praise God when you pray. When you begin to start praying, the first thing you should do is begin to glory, glorify and honor God. The next request was, was your kingdom come. John the Baptist, Jesus, the Twelve, and, and the Seventy-Two, all those disciples that were sent out have been preaching about the coming of God's kingdom. And when a person prays for the coming of the kingdom, we're identifying with the message of Jesus and his followers. But we need to pray for, for the kingdom of God to come on earth. It's, it's, we're just agreeing with that message of the disciples and his followers, of Jesus and his disciples. <clears throat> And it says, give us each our daily bread. This is the provision part we were talking about. You know, honor God on your prayer. Pray for his kingdom on earth, that his will be done on earth. You know, the interesting thing about his kingdom come is why would he ask us to pray for that if it was an opportunity for it not to manifest like he intended it to manifest? We need to pray for, for it to manifest like he wants. Matter of fact, we see it every day now, it not manifesting as it should. Instead, we're seeing a world falling apart. And then the third request is for our daily bread. That means pray for what you need. Tell God what you need, and he'll honor you in it. And then the fourth request concerns man's relationship to God, the forgiveness of sins. You know, in, in Luke 7, 36-50, Luke had already associated forgiveness of sins with faith. So in asking for forgiveness of sins, a person is just expressing his faith that God will forgive him. And I would recommend to you, honestly, instead of asking God to forgive you for your sins, just thank him that he has. One of the, uh, Pastor uh, Von Gerald, in one of the uh, men's retreats we went down to, he began to tell us a story when he prayed. He would, he would ask God to forgive him for something, and God would say, I already have. And he would go to begin to ask God to forgive him for something else, and he'd say, I already have. And this happened over and over until he finally realized that, you know what? I'll just thank God that my sins are forgiven. If you mess up, if you slip up, just say, God, thank you that I'm forgiven in this area. Thank you that I've been made clean and pure and that you have given me the strength to overcome, that I'm victorious in this area. But just begin to thank him for what has already happened. Amen? And then he says, forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. You know, if we recognize that we have forgiveness for our sins in our lives, it's just a natural reaction to forgive those around us as well. I was sitting with, my, with Pastor Mike one time, and oh, Blake was younger, and I don't remember what he was doing, but 
I just remember telling him, like, oh, it's so frustrating, this thing that's happening, and I don't know what to do. And, he, and you know, I'm expecting sympathy, right? <laughs> so, yeah, that's not what pastors do when you need a good smacking. So he says, he says, well, just take a moment and think about what God's expressed towards you. And that kind of changed my outlook on the situation. You know, it's, it should be a natural response to forgive others, recognizing the greatness of the forgiveness that's been given to us. And the fifth request is lead us not into temptation. So this is a, uh, a weird one. It says, lead us not into temptation. Well, we know that God doesn't want us to sin. So why would we pray such a weird thing? But the meaning is, is actually a little bit simpler than we think. And it's that as followers, we're to pray that we be delivered from situations that might cause us to sin. I want you to know that God doesn't cause you to sin. He doesn't tempt. The scripture says that, that God doesn't tempt anyone. But we would pray that we wouldn't be in a situation that we would be tempted to sin. Matter of fact, I would recommend that you pray that. And if you find yourself in one, bolt, get out of there. You know? And there's another thing. This is our, our template. But you know the other, the greatest way that you can learn how to pray? is to spend time praying with people who are experienced praying. If you want to learn to pray, like I said earlier, we have our prayer meeting at 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings. We meet in the classroom right over there, and we just begin to pray together. We begin to stand together contending for this city, for this church, for the people that are here. But if you want to learn how to pray, come sit with us and hear people pray. It's not all that difficult. Most of the time, we just repeat Scripture. If, it's good enough, if God's, word, God's words are good enough for me, But if you want to learn how to pray, come spend time in the prayer meeting and you'll see how to pray. You'll see godly men and women talking to God. And then imitate them. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Next, we need to understand that we pray in faith. James 1, 5-8 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. But the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And in Matthew 6, 7-8, it says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. When we pray, we need to pray in faith, believing that what we're asking will be done. He says, let him... It doesn't work anymore. <laughs> Let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. You know, most of the time that we don't receive when we pray is because we don't really believe God's going to give it to us. We begin to pray kind of out of a, a sense of duty instead of a sense of faith. We pray because we think it's something we should do, not because we want to speak to our God and we believe that he's going to respond. And then we see here in, in Matthew 6, 7 through 8, it says that the, when the Gentiles prayed, that they would just heap up empty words. They weren't praying in faith. They figured if they yelled loud enough, they screamed loud enough, then their God would hear them. We don't need to be like that. We can believe and trust that God hears us. And if we believe that He hears us, we know that He'll do what He asks. My favorite example of this about the, the uh, Gentiles praying is... is uh, 
You remember when Elijah was, was mocking the, the uh, priests of Baal or Baal? In 1 Kings 18 through 27, he says, Cry aloud, for he is God. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be wakened. He begins to mock those Gentile priests because their, their God obviously wasn't listening. But our God's not like that. We don't have to wake him up, he hears us when we pray. Amen. We also need to pray with authority when we pray. In Mark eleven twenty three through 24 it says, Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And then in Matthew 18, 18 through 20, it says, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This is actually better translated as whatever you bind on earth having already been bound shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth having already been loosed shall be loosed in heaven. If you read your Bible, you probably have a little note that translates it like that. And it says, this is actually how it's translated, but I don't know, trying not to be different than the other Bible translators. They all write it this way. But, and then it says, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Faith works so much simpler than we try to do it in our head. But it's just simple trust in God. It says here, Truly I say to you, whoever says this mountain be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes in what he says, it'll come to pass. If we ask for God for something, then he'll do it. I remember one time a, a guy on YouTube was trying to prove there was no God by using this verse. And he says, look, this verse says if I ask for anything, then God will do it. He says, I'm going to ask him how to jug of milk or something. I'm, I'm going to ask for this jug of milk to disappear. So he says his little half-hearted prayer, and obviously the jug of milk is still standing there because he doesn't get what it's trying to say. It says he does not doubt in his heart, but believes and it'll happen. Obviously, this guy already didn't believe that there was a God, so obviously nothing happened. But the truth is, if we will trust God and believe in him, great things will happen. Amazing things will happen. You know, it's been said that and I've said it many times, so some of you, this will be the first time, and some of you have heard this, this is old hat to you, but we need to stop telling our God about our problems, but instead start telling our problems about our God. When you're dealing with something, if you've got a mountain in your life, start standing against it. Begin to tell that, that mountain what the Scripture says. Amen? We also need to be praying in the Spirit. In Romans 8, 26-27, it says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for us as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. 1 Corinthians 14, 2 says, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. And 1 Corinthians fourteen fourteen through 15 says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. 
What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. This last scripture one makes it clear that there's a difference between praying in the spirit and praying with your mind, or singing in the spirit or singing with your mind. And if you didn't know, you know now as a church here, we believe in the gifts of the spirit. And sometimes we just don't know how to pray. We don't know the words to say. And the scripture says that when we pray in, our, in the spirit, it helps us in our weakness. Because we don't know how to pray as we are. But when we begin to pray in tongues, pray in the spirit, God hears our prayers. And it's the spirit speaking through us. We're going to find out one day when we get to heaven, that there are things that we prayed for. We had no idea what we prayed for. You're going to find out you were praying to be a missionary in Africa this whole time. You didn't even know. <laughs> breathe, George. Breathe. And there are things that are going to be dealt with that we had no idea. But we need to be praying in the Spirit. I'm sorry I'm going so long, guys. We'll go ahead and, and uh, finish here. In Acts 2.42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. We need to be a people who are devoted to prayer. This isn't just a passing fancy. It's not just something we do on Sunday morning or, or, or whenever we feel like it. But this needs to be who we are. It needs to be ingrained in who we are as a people. We are a people who pray. We need to make prayer a priority in our lives. You know, some recommendations, start a prayer journal, start a list. You know, if you, if you forget about what to pray about, just write it down on a notebook or on a card. You know, you don't, it's okay when you're praying to, to open your eyes and read what you got there. You can take a moment to collect your thoughts. I promise God won't be mad at you. If you're married, take the time to pray with your spouse. And I know it's hard. I know our lives are busy, but this, it should be a priority in our lives. See, the truth is that we can't pick the parts that we like about the Bible. But we need to be practicing them all, amen? So let's go ahead and, and, and realize that this is who we are as a people, and let's recommit ourselves to prayer, amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet.